0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Ruth as we're still in chapter 1. We're going to look at a better section than we normally do this week, chapter or verse 6 through 22. As we look at a bitter homecoming, one pastor shared the story about the manager of a minor league baseball team who was so disgusted with his center fielder's performance that he ordered him to the dugout and he assumed the position himself. He was going to teach this center fielder how to play the position. The first ball that came in the center field took a bad hop and it hit the manager in the mouth. The next one was a high fly ball, which he lost in the glare of the sun until it bounced off his forehead. The third was a hard line drive that he charged with outstretched arms. Unfortunately, it flew between his hands and smacked his eye. Furious, he ran back to the dugout, grabbed the center fielder by the uniform and shouted, "'You idiot!' You got center field so messed up that even I can't do anything with it. You know, some people just have trouble accepting any responsibility and blame for all the misfortunes that they suffer. Never taking a moment to self-assess their own motives and behaviors. We always want to blame it on someone else. Last week we considered the implications of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. That that tension between well, if God is sovereign, but does does, does human you know does humanity do we as humans do we have responsibility choices or a free will? It begins with one Jewish family, as we began in the prologue of of uh, Ruth with one Jewish family uh, jumping out of the frying pan, we said, and right into the fire, causing them to experience great calamity and tragedy. In their desire to escape escape the calamity of a famine uh, due to God's judgment on his people, they traveled to the wicked nation, the wicked land of Moab, only to find more tragedy that led to three widows as all three men died one after the other. We learn that even though God may bring trials in our lives, our decisions will have real-world consequences. So they, too, work together. In today's passage, the author moves to the second and third scenes of this wonderful love story as the three widows find themselves destitute and faced with another decision that has life-changing possibilities. So with that, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, the first few verses are going to be here on the monitor. The rest, I'm going to ask you to follow along in your word, in the word of God. So then she arose, the author writes, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out for the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went out of the way to return to the land of Judah. Father, uh, give us wisdom and open our minds and hearts to receive this ancient text 4,000 plus years ago. Uh, help us to do the work of, of observing it. What is it that you're saying? Lord, what is this story telling us? And then to interpret it, what does the author mean by giving us? And then doing the work uh, along with the Holy Spirit of how we respond, how we are to apply this word. So we thank you for this book. We thank you for Ruth. We thank you for Naomi and how their story has been captured for all time, Lord, here in this little book that's for our benefit and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as the scenes opens, uh, as the scene opens up in verse 6, we read that Naomi has been working as a field hand to feed her diminished family. She now has to go to work. Her, her husbands are dead. Her sons are dead. She's left with no husband. She has no other choice but to hire herself out as a regular field labor, almost like a day labor that you might see out today, just looking for work. That must have been very difficult for her, as that would have been hard, uh, hard, ba- or, uh, what's the word I'm looking here, is uh, been uh, ba- uh, backbreaking work, especially for a woman later in her years. I won't say about how old she was, because there's some of you that might be there, and you might take offense at it. But eventually we know that as we get older, it gets harder to do types of work, especially out there bending around, picking up wheat, corn, so on and so forth. Eventually, though, word reaches her in Moab, that Israel, Bethlehem, is no longer experiencing a a famine. And she decides, well, you know what? This is a good time to go back home. So packing up her belongings, she begins the trip back to Bethlehem with her daughter-in-laws in in tow. Now, as we continue through this narrative, we're going to witness the dialogue between the three of them. Last week, it was was all just a prologue. There was no conversation. Today, we're going to see some interaction between the three. Look with me in verse 10. As they're traveling here, they stop for a moment. Naomi turns and says to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me, that the Lord may grant that the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice, and they wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you. To your people Now, Naomi is expressing her concern for her daughter-in-laws by demanding that they return to their families in Moab. She acknowledges their kindness to her in dealing with her and helping her along in dealing with the deaths of her husbands. And she prays that God will show them the same kindness that they showed to her. She conveys her wishes that they may find comfort in finding a husband there in the land of Moab. And she kisses them goodbye. But as we read in tears, they reply instead that they desire to continue with her to Israel. And that would be normal. I think most daughter-in-laws would think of that type of thing. However, Naomi, as we continue to read, is in no mood for their emotional pleas. In response, she's going to list three reasonable arguments or three arguments based on reason of why they should not follow her to Bethlehem, why they should go back into their father's house so that they can be taken care of. Their fathers can continue taking care of them until they can find new husbands. We see this in verse 11, the first argument. Naomi says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? How have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? This argument is based on the fact that she only had two sons. There's not a third one or a fourth one lying in wait. Now that they are both dead, they have no brothers for them to marry. As we think of in that culture, it was common that if, 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 a, if, a, if a brother died, then if he had a single brother, they would then marry the widow. That seems odd to you and I, but that was the normal back then. She says, I have no more sons to give you. There's no one else for you to marry. Go back and find a husband in Moab. But then the second argument is found in verse 12 as we go on. She goes again, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even I should have a husband in a night and should bear sons, would you wait, therefore, until I've gone? In other words, she's going back to that Leverite marriage that we just talked about. In those days, a husband would, or a wife or a widow would wait for a brother. However, she says, I don't have one. And perchance, if I were to find a husband at my age back in Bethlehem and we were getting married and I were to have a son, are you going to wait until he grows up? To be of age to marry him you yourself would be an old woman are you really going to do that and obviously rhetorically we would say well no but then the third argument is found in verse 13 would you therefore refrain from marrying simply are you going to be single the rest of your life is that the life you want Again, as you might recall, life was not easy in those days for women, especially for a single woman or a widow. They would be left to the kindness of any surviving parent or sibling to take care of them, which Naomi had none. All they had was Naomi. Naomi has no one. She herself is left destitute and in poverty and is going to have to rely on the kindness of the family that she deserted and ran away from, remember, 10 years earlier. She ends her argument, though, with an accusation against God. Look with me in the next verse. No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. As she looks at her circumstances, as she looks at her life, as she looks at her prospects, she says it is God's She's like the manager accusing the center fielder of messing everything up. God has messed my life up. I have nothing for you. I am not worth following. I have nothing more to give you. In other words, she wants them to experience a better life than she had. So there is a sense that she has a concern for them. She has a kindness for them. Dr. J. Vernon McGee writes that Naomi warns them that they have no prospects and follow her, only perpetual widowhood and poverty for them because she's lost all her property. Her, Her husband left his lands. He died. He left no heir. That now goes to someone nearer to him. In those days, the women could not inherit the property. In verse 14, the two ladies make their choice after listening to these three arguments, these two reasonable arguments. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah is convinced of the wisdom of Naomi's argument and decides to return to Moab. She looks at it and reality sets in. Remember, she is a foreign pagan woman of a a nation and a country that Israel wants nothing to do with. Who is going to marry her? Reality sets in real quickly. She says, "Ah, I better go back to mom and dad's house. At least there they'll take care of me. At least there maybe I'll find someone who'll be willing to marry me. But Ruth refuses to go back. Now the dialogue now turns to just these two women in verse 15 as we get kind of the same scene, a little bit different. As Naomi makes one last plea for Ruth. She said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She makes one last plea. However, sometimes I'm struck by that and what she's really saying to Ruth. She's telling Ruth, go back to your family, but also to your gods. Remember, she already said God has been heavy towards her. God hasn't treated her well. In essence, she's saying, your false God that she knows is false. She's saying, going back to them, maybe they'll treat you better. What a strong statement. However, Ruth has thought this through. And she makes her final decision. In all that she's experienced with this family, she finally says, No, you know what? I have made my decision. She is determined to follow Naomi to Bethlehem. And here we come to this famous portion of scripture that many of us know. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Now, did you see what she says there, though? Look at the word, L-O-R-D, in caps. When you see the Lord in caps in scripture, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. I am who I am. She says, Naomi says, go back to your foreign worthless gods. Peru says, no, I'm going to Yahweh. I'm going to your God. This is a moment that we should not pass over too quickly. We're going to speak about it a little bit more. Ruth makes seven bold and courageous promises in this passage. I'll go where you go. I'll live where you live. I'll die where you die. I'll be buried where you are buried. Your God will be my God. Seven bold and courageous statements for this foreign woman. She doesn't know what waits her in Bethlehem. In summary, she reiterates her desire to follow Naomi without any reservation, no mental reservation. She is going for it. No matter the circumstances or consequences, she is going to follow her to Bethlehem. Her God is going to be her God. Now, as we continue to verse 18, we come now to the next scene that takes place in Bethlehem. So now we are in Bethlehem. They finally arrived. And as we come to verse 18, it says, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. That, that means uh, stirred, kind of means excited. They were brought into commotion because of them. And the women of the village questioned, Is this Naomi? You can hear the spattering and the whispers. S-s-s-s-s- who is that Naomi? Naomi's back? She's returning? Remember, she's been gone 10 years ago. She escaped. She left everything with her family to go to Moab. Now, the absence of 10 years must have taken a toll on Naomi. That family and friends almost didn't recognize her. I think as we're going to see is that the death of her three, uh, th- or her husband and her two children... Has paid a heavy toll on her life. They didn't recognize her. We all know that. We see people. You think of the presidency. Have you ever taken a moment to look at uh, a president when he's when he's first um, elected, and then if they do four or even eight years, the difference between the two. I mean, I remember. Uh, I think the first one I ever noticed this was uh, the second Bush, George W. I mean, just night and day. The toil. That life takes on a person. And sometimes you can see that in people's lives, right? You can tell those who had had more difficult lives than others. Most likely, they assumed that they would never see her again after such a long absence. Remember, they were going to sojourn. They were just intending to be there for a little bit, but they put down roots. In addition, they noticed that she's alone without her husband and her two sons. And the only one that's with her is this foreign woman that's tagging along. As we come to verse 20, we read Naomi's reply, and this is so important. And she said to them in response and reply to, is this Naomi, what's going on here? She says, do not call me Naomi. Remember, what does Naomi meant? It means sweet delight. It means uh, uh, pleasant. She says, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Maybe now it makes sense what I, we had you read earlier about the waters being called Mar. They were bitter. But then God threw in a log and called it sweet. Here we see the opposite. That which was sweet is now bitter. Her spirit is bitter. But look at what says here again. Why is she bitter? Again, I went away for the, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full And the Lord has brought me back, what? Empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me sweet? Why call me pleasant? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. This scene describes a very bitter homecoming. Instead of a welcome home party, Naomi, Naomi excuse me, is throwing herself a self-pity party. She even informs her family and friends that she is no longer to be considered sweet or pleasant, but just bitter. However, the author gives us a glimpse of hope in verse 22 as the famine is now over and is now time for harvesting. As we read, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. She left Moab uh, 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 sowing. She reaches um, Bethlehem back into Israel reaping. So in this case, we see that God has given us a glimpse of hope. Something new is going to change. As you and I know the story, Naomi is not going to stay bitter. But right now, her spirit is very bitter. And who is her bitterness against? God himself. Not herself, not her family, not her husband, but against God himself. Now, as we turn to the task of interpreting and understand this passage. Theologians Fee and Stewart notes that grief, loyalty, and conversion are the themes. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this. The themes are grief, loyalty, and conversion are the themes. This is what we're going to see here. But underlining those three themes, and here's the key, is kindness. The kindness of Yahweh towards His people the kindness of Naomi towards her son's widows, and their kindness towards Naomi. Again, we're going to see a demonstration of God's purposeful sovereignty along with human choices and responsibility. (coughs) Each of the characters in today's passage makes choices that affect their emotions, their demeanor, and their future. So first, as we're looking at God's kindness and grief, loyalty and conversion, I want to consider the kindness of God in grief, in trials and tribulations. GodQuestions.org describes God's kindness, and this is the kindness of God. You'll see it here on the monitor. Is God's covenant relationship with his people results in his loyal love and faithfulness? We see that word has said. That's the Hebrew word. Now, before we go on too much, I want to just say something about that word. That word has said is not a word that to us we, we interpret or translate that word into kindness. However, the English word kindness does not capture all that the Hebrew says of this word. This kindness that you and I talk of, this cassette, has said, is a covenant faithfulness of God that's beyond anything you and I can understand. So with that, he says: even when his people are unfaithful to him, God is has said, God is kind. He is loving. Always, he goes on to write, at the heart of Hesed lies God's generous sense of compassion, grace, and mercy. This is what we're seeing in this passage. Hesed surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. It is the inclination of the heart to show amazing grace to the one who is loved. So what we're going to consider here this morning in this passage is God's compassionate kindness to those who are grieving, to those who are enduring suffering, to those who are struggling and maybe even unfaithful or doubting God. God still shows his kindness. God's kindness is displayed as the author points out that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now, we kind of read through that in the beginning of uh, verse six, but there's something special going on there. After at least 10 long years, Yahweh has remembered his children and he's removed his hand of judgment against them. Once again, he has decreed that the clouds would bring forth rain and the ground to become fertile and bring forth crops. So once again, God is showing his kindness to them by removing the drought or whatever it is that was causing the famine. The Lord visited his people and given them food. Again, you're seeing the sovereignty and providence of God. The author wants us to know that it is God that is causing the good fortune Once again, just as God's providential hand brought the famine and Naomi's family's choice to leave Bethlehem, his providential kindness leads them to make another choice to return. What is interesting is how this kindness brings different responses and choices from the main characters. And that's really what we're going to get to do. How do you and I respond to the kindness of God in our life, especially in this point? when we grieve, when we struggle, when we suffer loss. It's very clear that Naomi is still struggling with grief at the loss of her husband and sons. I mean, that would be terrible, all three together. She describes herself as empty. And I can understand this. We had this in our own family. We lost three members of our family one year after another. And it was difficult. I know it was difficult for my mother uh, for she was a caregiver for two of them. And there's a sense where we're empty. And maybe you felt this way. Maybe there's been a point in your life where you just felt empty. Maybe it's the grief the loss of a loved one. Uh, maybe it's suffering through a physical ailment. Maybe it's just a financial thing. You just say, I just don't have anything else to give. We get that way in our marriages, right? In our relationships, you know, where a wife will come or a husband will say, I just don't have anything else to give. I am worn out. If you are a mother of toddlers and younger, you understand this feeling of being empty. I just don't have anything else to give. This is Naomi. I think in a lot of ways she's going home to die. She doesn't have much prospects. Marriage is probably out of the question. All she could be is a day laborer at best, but eventually then she's just going to live. I don't know if you've ever been to that place. I pray that you haven't. But grieving is part of natural part of life. She's lost everything, family, home. She's even lost hope. I mean, how bad does it have to get before you're accusing God of just picking on you? It's essentially what she's doing. She went out full, but she came back with nothing but one widowed foreign woman to worry about. I think it's one reason why she didn't want them to come with her. Just give her one other person. All she wants to deal with is herself. I think all of us would join her in this grief if we were suffering through it. However, what is troubling, again, is her accusations against God. God. Instead of accepting responsibility for her choices and for her husband's choices in leaving, she chooses instead to blame God, just like many of us many times. You have noticed in verse 20 and 21 that she alternated, or alter, uh, she alternated between the words Almighty and Lord. Look again, go back to verse 20, would you with me? She said to him, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity? So it's Almighty, Lord, Lord, Almighty. That's important. As you can see, she levels four accusations that she, she levels against God. She refers both to the Almighty, which is title. It's El Shaddai. It's a title of being Lord. But then also she uses Lord capital as his personal name. In using Almighty, she emphasizes his power to do as he pleases. He is the king. He is, you know, he is sovereign. He, he's done these things. He's the Almighty. There's nothing I can do to stop him. But then she refers to his name to make it personal as a relationship. As the Almighty, he dealt bitterly bitterly with her by causing her to suffer. And as Yahweh, her covenant God, he has taken away her husband and he judged her. So this is something that she's taking very, very personally. This is changing her whole mindset. And the bitterness is just growing. And along with bitterness, what comes is rage, right? Malice, anger. Her bitterness leads her to deny God's goodness and kindness. She puts all the blame for her circumstances and consequences at the foot of God. If God is sovereign, then everything is his fault. She's so focused on her pain that she's blinded to the kindness of God and bringing about circumstances in which she could return home, as well as the friendship and loyalty of Ruth. Unfortunately, we are so much like her in our response to God's kindness, even in grief. We so often look at what we've lost, not realizing what God has given us. You know, there's that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. Aren't we people so many times that we always see the bad side of life and not the good side? We do that many times. We look at what we don't have instead of looking at what we do have. And we deny the goodness and kindness of God. Like Adam and Eve or Eve, we doubt his character. What she is missing, as you'll see here on the monitor, is that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Say it again, it comes from Romans. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But we are so blinded by God's kindness and goodness towards us that we don't see that. Instead of repenting of her decision to leave Bethlehem in the first place, and by the way, that decision was a wrong decision. They were to stay in the land. That's what they were commanded to do. However, Elimech led her and his family out of it. And instead of repenting of that, their lack of faith in God's providence, she doubles down by by blaming God for for her misfortunes. And it is true, Yahweh was judging and testing his people through the famine. But they were also responsible for the choices they made, just as you and I. And so when God gives us kindness, even in our grief, we are to see the kindness of God. And that's to bring us back. Many times when I do funerals, that's one of the things I point out. As many times when we suffer death or we suffer some type of medical issue or something, we start to grieve and we forget the kindness and goodness of God. We wonder where was God. Kind of like Mary and Martha when it came to Lazarus and he died. And remember, the charge was against Jesus. Why did you wait so long? If you would have been here, you could have healed Lazarus from his uh, sickness, from his illness. She blamed God. But we cannot. God's kindness is to us even in our grief. Yet as we see God is kind towards her by creating the environment for her to remain home and providing a companion for her as well. And of course, as you and I know the story, and I want to encourage you to continue to read Ruth during these weeks and become familiar with it, we understand that all things are going to be restored. I'm so uh, spoiling the story for you but we know that God has something special in store for Naomi and Ruth. Secondly, not only did we see God's kindness in grief, but now we see God's kindness in providing a loyal friend. Though both of her daughter-in-laws desire to remain with her, only Ruth decides to follow through. Naomi may feel empty, but Ruth will fill a big void, especially as we move through the story. Now, could you imagine... As she is standing there with, with Naomi, and Naomi is telling everyone, I went away full, but now I'm empty. You could have said, You could see Ruth saying, well, What am I, chopped liver? You know, I'm right here, and you at least have me. But Ruth is just loyal to her. We don't know, I don't understand. I don't know how long she was her daughter in law. We don't know how long during those 10 years they were married and she served with Naomi and lived with Naomi. But Ruth is someone who is super loyal. Many of us can testify to the importance of good friends, King Solomon writes in Proverbs 18, you see it here on the monitor, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Maybe you have someone in your life that's like that. Someone that you've known maybe since grade school or uh, high school, whatever, and that friend is close. Maybe they're just someone new, but there's someone you know that they're just with you through thick and thin. They give you good counsel. They support you. If you don't have a friend like that, Lord, I pray that you find a friend like that. If you need one, come to me. I'll be a friend like that. There's something important about that type of friend. And that's God's kindness by putting people in our lives. And sometimes we think, boy, you know, who are these people? You know, you're not here, by the way, by coincidence or accidents. God has given each and every one of you to us. We were created. Listen to this. We were created, intended to be together and serve together here at OVBC. And I'm thankful for all of you. Many times you think, well, uh, it's always a coincidence that I'm married to this woman. No, God created you for that spouse, particularly that whose God designed you for. And so we need to realize that God has given each of us friends. He has given us uh, people who we can do life with. As we shared last week, the Ruth's name means Friendship. I mean, she's the perfect person. She is named perfectly for this time. And she lived up to it. As we read earlier, Ruth made seven declarations, seven promises to Naomi to prove her loyal friendship. Boy, if we could just have someone who says something like that to us, would that not absolve some of the, or dissolve, I should say, some of the bitterness that resides in our hearts? This friendship preshadows the friendship of David and Jonathan, Jesus, and his disciples, Paul, and Timothy. And of course, as you see on the monitor, Jesus is the greatest example as he was accused of being a friend of sinners. This is Jesus. He's a loyal friend. This is the kindness of God who gives us a friend even though we have rebelled against him. One of the wonderful truths that we can count on when it comes to God's kindness is his loyalty to keeping his promises even when we do not. Scripture declares that he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what you and I need. We need a loyal friend. And in God's kindness, he has given us Jesus Christ, his own son. And then he's uh, sprinkled throughout our lives, men and women who have done that as well. And calls us to be, by the way, that type of loyal friend. Not a friend. What's that? What's that phrase? A friend, whether... Good weather friend, whatever. Fair weather friend. Fair weather friend. We've all had men, people like that in our lives. But we need people who will speak the truth to us, who are willing to slap us in the face if we need to. Now, don't go doing that, at least not here in church. And don't let it cause bitterness in your life. Take it. You might need it. You might deserve it. I don't know. But we need a loyal friend. and God's kindness is to provide that. His loyalty, as we speak of Jesus Christ, is based on his character, speaking of God. God's loyalty, his kindness, is based on his character. As Paul writes to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, as we talked about kindness. That is who God is. Thirdly, we see God's kindness not only through our grief, not only through loyalty, But here's the passage, and here's the point that we see here in this passage. is God's kindness through the conversion of Ruth. Something special is happening here in this verse. Her loyalty to Naomi is based on her faith in the God of Naomi. Now, Naomi looks like she's ready to walk away from Yahweh. But Ruth is running to God. She's running away from the gods of Moab. They know, though, Naomi, I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that word. That's gonna be tough because the whole book, Naomi's in it. (laughs) (laughs) They had to get this down. They know, (laughs) though she may have forgotten the goodness and kindness of Yahweh, somehow Ruth has found it. She has discovered the wonderful kindness of the almighty Lord of Lords. We are not told how this came to be, but it's clear that in this conversation that Ruth has no desire to return to the false gods of her father's. You can see the lack of faith in Naomi as she urges them to go back to that nation. And you have to remember that nation worshipped Chemosh. He's the chief Moabite deity who required child sacrifice. That's who Naomi was sending those women back to. Ruth's decision to convert to Yahweh is obvious in verse 16. You'll see it here in the monitor naomi tried to convince her of the folly of following her to israel but she warns them she has no home no lands no prospects she cautions her that no one from israel will marry her as she is a foreigner however like rahab the harlot from judges she chooses a side with the god of israel she says where you go i will go where you lodge i will lodge your people shall be my people your god will be my god amen now, I love that phrase because it echoes back to God's kindness to, to, to us, who says, You shall be my people and I shall be your God, as we read in Revelation and the promise that He had given to the covenant of Israel. This shows conversion. This shows an enlightening of the mind, an opening of the heart. As she says, I'm going to abandon everything. To follow you. You see, she has chosen to follow God. She has counted the cost and says, yes, I may have more opportunities in Moab going to my father's house to live. I could maybe get remarried there and have children. I may have to give the first one up to God and kill it, but all right, I'll have another one. I know that sounds silly, but that's the society in that day. But She says, no, I'll follow you. I know you have no lands. I know you have no prospects to be remarried. And I know that I'll probably be single the rest of my life. But I'm willing to go and die and be buried with you. We'll die together. She's counted the costs and says, I'm going to follow Yahweh. What a beautiful picture of God's kindness in accepting the desire of a pagan worshiper, a former, I should say, a former pagan worshiper. Like the wind that Jesus speaks of in John 3, the Holy Spirit removed, removed within her heart to choose God. In doing so, she found the acceptance of God, an internal inheritance into the kingdom of God, as you and I have. And eventually, as you and I would know, she would give birth to the grandfather of King David and would be one of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, as we see In Matthew, a woman with no prospects, no home, and no hope is one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the midst of the circumstances and the consequences of others, she chose to accept and believe in Yahweh. You see, God's kindness and grief. God's kindness in loyalty and God's kindness in the conversion of a Gentile woman. Now, there are several things that we should apply from this passage. First, you and I should bask in the kindness of God towards his children. This kindness is to lead us to repentance. (coughs) It's to help us to understand the goodness of God and it serves as an example for you and I to follow. The apostle calls us to put on kindness and brotherly affection. Barry Webb writes here writes here on the monitor. He didn't write it on our monitor. I did that, but he does write. To put on kindness is to clothe. I just want to make sure we're all clear. Barry Webb writes that to put on kindness is to clothe ourselves with the very character of God himself. And that's what scripture tells us. It tells us to put on kindness. That's to be a, a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. And so you and I, as we receive the kindness of God, we are to take that kindness of God and then take it and then give it to others, not allowing bitterness to reside, not just in those who are kind to us, but even to those that are our enemies, those who abuse us, those who persecute us, as Jesus calls us to. Secondly, we must learn how to deal with grief. Loss and the troubles that you and I will face through the purposeful sovereignty of God. Yes, God will bring things in our life that will be difficult, that you and I will not enjoy, in things in which we would say, what is God doing? I do not understand this. The Bible warns us, though, that we are not to grieve as those who have no hope. And that's not speaking just of, of funerals, though, in those days, talking about death. But this is in all things. You and I are to adopt the attitude of Job after the loss of his wealth, the loss of his family, the loss of his health. In response to his loss, he cries out, naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Now that's so much different than, than Naomi, right? She said, I was full, but I came back empty. Job, who lived well before she did, says no. I came in this world empty. Whatever I gained, I kind of lost because I know that I'm going to return empty. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Read the rest with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with his wrong. So Job, as you may know, let me just spend a moment. I know I'm going a little bit longer here than normal, but don't look at the clock. Put your phones away. Now, I forgot what I was going to say. So now it's going to take me a few moments just to gather that thought. Is that Job found himself in a cosmic battle, supernatural, between God and Satan. He's the man in the middle who has no idea what's going on. He was a rich man by all standards. Lost everything in the span of probably less than an hour. If we read the story literally, which we should. No reason not to. This is a man who understood the sovereignty of God, and this is what God has done to me, but he still recognized that his choice mattered. And his choice was to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. What was his wife's choice? Curse God and die, you old man. Job's sorrowful, but understands the kindness of God. Job's wife, bitter, resentful, hateful. Unfortunately, in this case, Naomi is adopting the attitude of Job's wife. Ruth adopts the attitude of Job, even though these two are not put together. We can see a scripture shows us a beautiful picture of understanding the kindness of God, even when he chooses to bring hardship in our life. For everything that you are enduring today, God has brought it to you to draw you to himself and to strengthen. Your choice is to see the kindness of God even in the midst of that struggle. So thirdly, and this is my last one, we must accept the purposeful sovereignty of God and make choices that glorify him and glorify him. And Deuteronomy, let me give you this last verse. You should probably should write this verse down. Take a picture of it of your phone. You can pick your phone up take a picture of it if you need it. You need to know this verse. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. So what does that verse mean? It means that there is some things that God has decreed and planned for this world that you and I may not know. We do not know why God does many of the things he does. Now, sometimes in hindsight, we might. That's a great teacher. However, we don't always understand why God is doing what he's doing. And he doesn't tell us. But there are some things that God has revealed to us and to our children. And they belong to us. And the things that he has revealed to us are to give us hope and encouragement and to strengthen us to deal with the things that we do not know. Now, what are the things that are revealed? How does God reveal it? Does he do it through skywriting? Does he do it through supernatural events? He has done that. However, you and I should not expect it. It's very simple. God has given us his word. This is the secret things belong to the Lord, his counsel, but the things revealed. These are the things that are revealed to us that belong to us and our children. It is to understand what God is doing in those things that we don't understand, or cannot know. So I say all that to say this, is that in the Bible, it reveals the kindness of God even during his judgments and hardships given to us. The scripture calls us to live uh, live in faith, confidently trusting in the person of God. The author of Hebrew writes, let us hold fast this confession of our hope without wavering. Oh, I wish Naomi would have done that. But even her life serves an example for you and I is don't be Naomi in this, in this. You are to be Ruth. So let us hold fast our confession without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. As we end this morning, let's commit to in God's purposeful sovereignty by making godly choices that glorify God that you and, I, you and I may see and receive and glorify God because of his kindness that is shown to us. When we suffer loss or face with trials, let us commit to praying for more faith and grace. In other words, let us pray that we may trust him more and that he may give us more grace when we fail to do so. For God's kindness is meant to lead us back to Him. May you see the blessings that He's given you in grief, in loyalty, and in conversion. All right. We ask you of your head, every eye closed, and every head bowed just for a moment as the worship team comes and Randy comes for our pastor's prayer. In all things we want God to be glorified. So I want you to take a moment just to pause and consider this passage. What is he saying? What is your life? Are you bitter towards God because of what's happening in your life? Do you see the kindness of God? Are you rejoicing? Are you a Naomi or are you a Ruth? I pray that God would give you the strength to be the Ruth. Now we see eventually Naomi's heart will change, but until then, let us glorify God in choosing to glorify him in his kindness towards us. Randy, would you come and just close us in prayer?